We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello once again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Pack a Day podcast. Your twenty-four-seven stop for all things green and gold. My name is Mike Wellen, and joining me, as always, is Chris Schimmel today. And Chris, it's the off-season. It's a little more relaxed. Combine hasn't started yet. We're, we're just kind of starting into draft stuff. So it's a chance to take, take a step back and look at other more uh, fun, non-quite-topical football topics, I guess. How is the off-season treating you so far? Pretty good. I mean, this off-season definitely more relaxed than last season because there was a lot of what-ifs going into last season. But here, you know, you feel like you have a, a lot more confidence going into this next off-season. But then again, there's a lot uh, even more higher expectations heading into this offseason, too. So you're, you're excited, but it's definitely more relaxing than last offseason. Absolutely. And so with this offseason kind of going right now, it's a little more laid back, even though expectations will be raised. It's a good chance to take a look at kind of the situation that Matt LaFleur found himself in. He set all kinds of uh, records, team and otherwise, in his first year, getting 13 wins, getting becoming the first Packer rookie coach to get into the playoffs. And, and just kind of stepping things up back from where the Packers used to be. And, and it got us both thinking about other coaches who have jumped in with a Hall of Fame quarterback on their first year on the job, whether it's an older one or a younger one. We'll focus a little bit on both, but how do they do from their first to second year? So, and how can we use that to try and tie in things to what Matt LaFleur might be able to do in year two in 2020? 
And we have eight coaches up for you guys. We'll go through them. We'll go through Mike McCarthy, Tony Dungy, Jim Caldwell, Mike Shanahan, Jimmy Johnson, Mike Tomlin, George Seifert as well, and Sean Payton. And I guess kind of diving right in, and again, don't forget all to follow Packet A Podcast at Packet A Podcast and wherever great podcasts are found. I think, Chris, I think it's fitting that we start with Mike McCarthy because there's a lot of parallels between Matt LaFleur's situation and what McCarthy came into when he came in in 2006. Yeah, definitely. You know, when a lot of, uh, I feel like a lot of Packer fans were scratching their heads when Mike McCarthy was first hired, not hearing too much about him beforehand. But it's kind of crazy to think because I was, let me think, I was in sixth grade <laughs> when McCarthy was hired. So I, I don't, uh, you know, so for most of my life, it's been under McCarthy. So it's kind of hard to think of what it really was under Mike Sherman. And, but of course, uh, Favre, I think, had a lot more freedom under Mike Sherman. And then McCarthy came in and, you know, uh, change, kind of kind of changed uh, the team into, you know how a coach comes in and they want the team to be modeled after them. So, of course, that's going to be uh, different uh, or challenging for Favre. But, yeah, I see the same kind of thing. And especially given that McCarthy inherited a team that went 4-12 and the previous year. They started 0-4, were 2-10, and and then were 4-12. and So, I think McCarthy had an enormous uh, amount of uh, responsibility and an enormous amount of pressure on him. And I saw the same thing with LaFleur this season. Absolutely, yeah. I was a freshman in high school when this happened. So I, I was right in my youth, right when the Sherman era and the Ray Rhodes era were going. But I remember, yeah, when McCarthy came in and he brought in Jeff Jagosinski as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Bob Harlan was still around, still doing the hiring. Ted Thompson was still around there. They rejected to go 6-10 his first year, and they looked to be on that pace with McCarthy. But he did win four in a row and eight and eight to start there. But then going into year two, with Joe Philbin promoted to offensive coordinator, they made that next big jump. They went thirteen and three in what I think I think was Favre's last season as the starter. Favre had twenty eight touchdowns, fifteen picks. They got to the divisional round where they fell to the Giants in overtime as championship game. <laughs> or sorry, conference championship game against the Giants. I'm trying to forget the weekend that happened because Corey Webster is still my personal enemy to this day. <laughs> but but it was kind of the opposite where he started off all right and then he got big. Lafleur started out huge early on. Can he keep that 13 and three pace? But again, with an aging quarterback who who got reined in by the coach, Rodgers had 29 picks I think in his last year under Sherman. He drops that down to 15 and eight, 18 and then 15 during that time under McCarthy or under McCarthy. So is there a similarity there that whether Floor can get the same kind of cooperation under Rodgers that we saw this year as that we saw far with McCarthy as the couple years went on? Yeah, if they're they're both the same and both different. Like where they both need the coaches need to rein in the quarterback, but under completely different circumstances. Favre, it was, you know, he was a gunslinger shoot from the hip, throwing a lot of boneheaded interceptions. With Rodgers, it's, you know, you're not, uh, you don't have to be Superman anymore. You don't have to put up these amazing numbers. You have to let the bullet, you know, you have to let the uh, the football fly instead of throwing it away. You need to learn how to hit your checkdowns, get into this new system. So both quarterbacks, uh, I, th- I saw Favre as uncomfortable too when he, when he first started uh, going into McCarthy's system. And I thought the same thing with Rodgers. You saw how the offense was stagnant throughout most of the beginning of the season. And then finally things started to gel a little bit. 
And then same thing, of course, uh, you know, people always bring up, you know, what Matt Ryan was when his first year under uh, a system, and then in year two he wins MVP. So I, I, I see uh, I, I, it's hard to think of the Packers getting even better than 13-3, and three, but I, I, they might not be 13-3. and three, They might go 11-5 and five or 12-4, and four, but I feel like they'll be even more of a complete team. That I agree with 100%. I think it's going to be similar to what we saw with the McCarthy years. Even more, just more entertaining. I'm looking at some of the stuff from the, that second year. Charles Wilson was a primary punt returner. You had great <laughs> luminaries like Corn Robinson on the team, Carlisle Holiday. There, there's some fascinating names to go back and look at. Marquand Manuel at safety. It's, it's fascinating to see these teams 15 years ago now. When you think about with like Mike McCarthy, but there are so many similarities that it's, it's amazing. I mean, then you look at the run McCarthy went on because he dropped to six and ten the next year with Rodgers, but then. 11, 11 wins, 10 wins, 15 wins, 11 wins. He ended up winning 10 games eight times with the Packers, and which, if we can get that out of Matt LaFleur again, I think that's a massive, massive success. And I, I hope that the similar model can be followed by Matt LaFleur that we saw under McCarthy, like he's talked about getting, getting the quarterbacks buying in consistently, getting them to play their game and letting him dictate the way the team goes like a good head coach can do. Yeah, definitely. Completely agree, and I, I'm just looking at Favre's, you know, statistics. His first, his uh, last year with Sherman, and his two years under McCarthy. You know, his passer rating went from 70.9 to 72.7 to 95.7. I mean, that's a huge. What is that? It's 23 points in one year. That, that that's pretty amazing. I'm not saying that Rodgers is going to go from you know 95.4 and then up 23 points, but if he can just Keep continuously buying into the system to get him some more weapons this offseason. I feel like this team, you know, because of the expectations, they have nowhere to go but up. No, I agree. So, so let's move on. Let's take a look at another coach who there are some really odd connections with Green Bay going back to his time with Denver and also his son just beating Green Bay, and that's Mike Shanahan. He had he ended up with uh, kind of later's crew with John Elway, and of course he won a couple Super Bowls at the end as well. So I guess. Talk about year one and year two. I know you did a lot more research than I did on Shanahan. Talk about what you saw from him in years one and year two. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mike Shanahan, you know, people always talk about him in Denver. You know, he only was the head coach in Denver from 1995 to 1998. He retired after that, you know, second Super Bowl win with the team. And then, of course, he came back. It's like coaches just can't stay away from the game. It's just in their blood. But, you know, you look at the year before, they were 7-9. and nine. They were 10th uh, in the league in points. 21.7 points a game. Uh, John Elway had, you know, it's kind of hard to look back at statistics and compare them to today. For example, 90, 1995, John Elway threw 16 touchdowns. You'd think if a player threw 16 touchdowns in today's game, you'd say this guy is garbage. You know, but going back, uh, Elway had a statistically good season. But then 1995, under Shanahan's first year, there wasn't – Huge improvement. They went from seven to nine to eight and eight. So to think the Packers going, you know, to thirteen and three, it, I don't think people really understand how huge of a good rookie year Matt Lafleur had. Like I, I think he has by far the best rookie year in Packer history. But you take a look, their points per game increased from twenty one point seven to twenty four point three. And uh, but John Elway, he was still throwing the ball. He because he was so used to being Superman. He threw the ball 542 times, and he put up good numbers. Defense was okay, 
right in the middle of the pack. But then it was in 1996, one year into uh, you know his second year, where he finally tried to embrace. He tried. He finally uh, embraced Shanahan's philosophy. And he, you just take a look at the numbers. His passing uh, attempts went from 542 to 466. That's when Terrell Davis really started becoming the leader of the team. And his numbers went, his passing yards went down 600 yards, but they were winning, and they were actually scoring more points than ever before. You know, his touchdown percentage went from 4.8% to 5.6%. His completion percentage went from 58.3 to 61.6. And then, so it took a while for, uh, of course, for Elway to, to uh, adapt, and the same thing's going to be for Rodgers. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of parallels there with these two, especially you talk about Elway having to be Superman. And he had to be the Denver Broncos for a long time until Terrell Davis came in in his prime and you saw some stuff with Shanahan coming in. And Shanahan stayed till 2008, then he went to Washington for a few years. But with with El, with Shanahan, Elway, much like we're seeing, I think, now with LeFleur, Rodgers, and Aaron Jones, the quarterback doesn't need to be the guy. You can lean on your running game. You can have some good receivers, lean on a strong defense, and you can still win a Super Bowl. Elway was at the very end, though, which I think is the big difference, whereas Rodgers still has a few years left, I think. But Elway, Elway was almost done, but he was able to show up late, and I think the leadership and hard-headedness hard, head, head of Shanahan went a long way to help that out. Yeah, and Shanahan was, uh, was interviewed, and he said the main difference is that Rodgers has already won a Super Bowl, while, while Elway hadn't won any. So he, they were just trying to win one. And so that's the same kind of mindset with Rodgers, win one more. You take a look at, you know, we just talked about McCarthy in, uh, in, with Favre. They, go, they went from 4-12 and 12 to 8-8 eight and eight to 13-3. and three. Shanahan, they went from 7-9 and nine to 8-8 eight and eight to 13-3. and three. The Packers went straight to 13-3. and three. And so that's why uh, it's a little bit different. It's almost like the Packers almost skipped the first year and just went straight to the second. And so hopefully that's why I'm so excited for this next year to see what they can do because Rodgers, they won even without him putting up those numbers, even though Rodgers kind of think he had to. But I don't know. I feel like it's kind of refreshing to see Rodgers not have to be Superman. And I know he still feels like he has to, but you just think of the Cowboys game with Aaron Jones running for four touchdowns. No, no I agree. And, so let's move on to another coach kind of in that similar boat, and that's Tony Dungy. Uh, Dungy was inexplicably fired by Tampa after 2001. Grand, they did go and win the Super Bowl the next year with John Gruden with Dungy's players, but Dungy goes to the Colts, and he's got a still young Peyton Manning, but it's still a, a guy who, quarterback who realizes he, he can use the Superman, has, all, has, has control of the offense, all checks at the line. They go 10-6 and in Dungy's first year at the Colts. The next year, they jump up to 12-4, and four, then they went 12-14, 12-13, and 12-8. So that 10-6 and six year was the worst year Dungy had with the Colts. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> but even in that 2002 season with Dungy, Peyton Manning, 27 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. He was 26. He had guys like Edger and James. He had Marvin Harrison. So there were plenty of weapons around at that point. Reggie Wayne was still pretty uh, was young as well. The next season with Peyton Manning as quarterback at age 27, 29 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. And and again, they went 
pretty solidly into the conference championship where they fell to the Patriots. That first year under Tony Dungy, they lost in the wildcard game and they got shellacked by the New York Jets 41 to nothing. 41 to nothing. But a younger quarterback, but another quarterback who had complete control of the line of scrimmage, complete control to check out of any play he wanted with Peyton Manning. Some really talented young receivers with Harrison and Wayne, a very good running back, Edger and James. And I think that's what similarity is, is you have a quarterback who has complete control of the offense like Peyton Manning did and with Aaron Rodgers. Except Dungy again, that very highly motivator, that guy... Even more like Fleur, who the players really respect in the locker room, who they realize they can count on in the locker room. And I think that's where the similarities are between Dungy and Lafleur. Yeah, you know, Dungy, of course, is a defensive, uh, defensive-minded coach. So it is, a, it, is, it is a little bit different. But at the same time, you're dealing with a, a quarterback who has complete control of the line of scrimmage. A lot of coaches aren't used to having that. Like, people are always talking about Lafleur whether or not he's going to give Rodgers the freedom to audible change the play at the line of scrimmage, because he probably well, he wasn't used to having a quarterback do that. And then another uh, similarity you just said uh, Tony with Tony Dungy is uh, I have a uh, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson, of course, everyone remembers him as the coach of the Cowboys. People need to remember he also was the coach of the Dolphins from uh, 1996 to 1999, and he had Dan Marino, and everyone thought that with Shula retiring, Jimmy Johnson would be able to finally take Dan Marino to a Super Bowl championship. And instead, nothing, they really remained stagnant. Uh, first, uh, they were 9-7 and seven before he got there. He goes, the, he gets there, and they go 8-8. Eight and eight. And then the next year, they go 9-7. and seven. And Marino, once again, not having the same weapons as he once had, remained stagnant. So I feel, well, Tony Junji was successful, McCarthy was successful, and Shanahan was successful. There are some exceptions, and, and that, that big one is Jimmy Johnson with Dan Marino. Did you take a look at that one? I didn't take it too much of a look at that, no. But I'm trying to remember, that might have been Marino's last couple of years where he lost his last game 62-7 to in the playoffs. Yeah, I guess the Jake Wires. Yeah, that, that, that's brutal. But, but that's the one where it's, but it's, another, it's, it's opposite personality-wise, because Jimmy Johnson was that loud, boisterous, Yep. How about them Cowboys, coach? And then he also went, how about them Dolphins? Whereas someone like, where he, where Johnson had that ego and he had that, that confidence and that, bo- that boisterous personality, whereas guys like Shanahan, Lafleur, Dungy are kind of that more reserved taskmaster, take care of your own business type coach. Yeah. And, which I think resonates more with a quarterback. I think would resonate more with a quarterback like Marino, who is very cerebral, very much a guy who wanted to take care of his own stuff and he, and Reno had been to a Super Bowl 15 years earlier but he never got back and I think it remains whether Johnson was the right guy to try and get him back at the end of his career and it very show, very often showed that he wasn't but with Louis LaFleur I think there's a little bit more confidence because he's not that old school type coach like Jimmy Johnson Agreed So another coach to think about and we'll go back to Indianapolis was the guy who succeeded Tony Dungy and it's a very fascinating case is Jim Caldwell because he still is probably the most qualified head coach the Detroit Lions have had in the past 20 years. But focusing back on his tenure in Indianapolis, he took over what was already a Super Bowl caliber team and went 14-2 and his first season. And, and not to mention that that team could have gone 16-0 and if they didn't rest up Peyton Manning the last two games. You're right, and, and they... And they 
and they lost them both to the Jets and Buffalo. And they ended up losing in the Super Bowl that year to the New Orleans Saints. This was, this was the year before Green Bay went and won the Super Bowl. And with, with, with Caldwell in charge, Manning had complete control. This was Peyton Manning's offense. Caldwell was just kind of the head guy. He controlled the locker room. He didn't really call plays. This was Peyton Manning. He had 33 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. But he took an offense with Joseph Adai as your leading running back, as your leading receiver being Dallas Clark and Reggie Wayne. Marvin Harrison was gone. You had Austin Colley and Pierre Garçon at that point, both young guys. And he and he took this young collection of talent and took them to 14 wins. But again, a lot of that ended up being Peyton Manning. Now you go on to year two in 2010. They went 10 and six. They got bounced in the first round by the Jets in the wild card round, and they took a step back. For Peyton Manning, he went. 33-17 and 17 touchdown to interception. Donald Brown became their leading rusher. They didn't have a single guy over 500 yards. Dallas Clark took a step back. Reggie Wayne was their leading receiver with 111 catches. But very clearly, someone with college personality, very soft-spoken, and he let, the, and he let Peyton Manning control that team in every way, shape, and form, they took a step back. And they may have been a better team than the year before. We, it's hard to tell, going, thinking about nine, 10 and 11 years ago. But with Caldwell, the Colts were never quite the same, and they got a little bit worse every year to the point where he was let go after 2011. He ended up going to Detroit for a few years. Because he went, the next year in 2011 was the year Peyton Manning was out, and they went 2-14 and 14 with Curtis Painter. And Caldwell kind of got scapegoated by that, and he was sent on his way. So it, it's amazing to think where what could happen if Rodgers goes down. Caldwell could be the cautionary tale of that, but I do think the floor is not quite as reserved as Caldwell. And I think he's going to, if he needs, he can take charge. But the cautionary tale, I think, is Jim Caldwell for Matt Lafleur. Yeah, you know, that's a perfect example of a team that just kind of went backwards every every year. Still successful, going ten and six and making it to the playoffs, but definitely a step backwards. I don't see that happening with the Packers and the floor simply because when Caldwell came, it's not like Manning had to buy into a new system, you know, or he had to say, all right, you can't do this anymore. Now you need to do this. You can't do this physically. With Rodgers, it's, all right, this is a new system you need to buy into. If you buy into the system, it'll actually make you more successful in the long run. There will be some short growing pains. But if you have keep going, you'll find success at the end of your career. Peyton Manning didn't really have to do that with Jim Caldwell. And so and a lot, I feel like a lot of the stuff, you know, having a, a defense like Colts had that wasn't really good and then not having a great running game, I feel like it's the exact opposite with the Packers where I feel their defense should be better next year. And running game-wise, keep Aaron Jones healthy should have a – I'm not going to say he's going to lead the league in touchdowns, but I feel like – because I feel like a lot of teams are going to be game planning for Aaron Jones. But it's going to be um, – I still feel like they're going to, like I said, they're not going to probably go 13-3, and three, but they'll be a more complete football team. Agreed. So let's, let's just briefly touch on these last three coaches for us. and A couple of them are modern. We'll go with the older one first, and we're going to go back to 1989. And George Seifert. George Seifert. Right? Now that guy is like, he's the GOAT when it comes to coaching in your first season and your second season, I feel. For sure. He went 14-2 and two both years in San Francisco. He was there for for eight years. He won ten games each time before going to the Panthers and completely tanking and getting <laughs> fired after going one and fifteen with that one win being over Minnesota. Thank you, Chris Winkie. But in nineteen eighty nine, 
He goes 14 and 2 following Bill Walsh. And they slaughtered Denver in the Super Bowl 55 to 10. The one thing, though, his offensive coordinator that year was Mike Holmgren. Mm-hmm. But Montana goes 26 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. Steve Young plays in three games, goes, he has 8 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. So you have two Hall of Fame quarterbacks there, one at age 33, one at age 28, and then you have some guy named Steve Bono. You know, but you also got Roger Craig out there. You have Jerry Rice, John Taylor, for Packer coach Jerry Sidney on that roster. So Seifert is the GOAT of the first-year head coaches. Like you said, 14-2, and two, he wins the Super Bowl. Again, with Bill Walsh's team, Bill Walsh's system, and Bill yep. Walsh's players. And then not to mention, after he wins the Super Bowl, they start the next season 10-0. and 0. <laughs> Absolutely. They start 10-0. and 0. They end up going 14-2 and 2 again, but this time they lose in the conference championship to the New York Giants. And one of the greatest games ever played. Montana. That was the game that really ended Montana's reign in San Francisco and began the Steve Young era. And another thing also to keep an eye on as well is all of the future Packer coaches who were on that, besides Holmgren, you had John Gruden, Sherm Lewis, and Ray Rhodes all on that, uh, that coaching staff. Yep. But Montana started four, uh, started 15 games, Young started one, Montana 26 touchdowns, 16 interceptions for Joe Montana, which was unheard of at the time. But again, not much of a running game, it was Roger Craig and Dexter Carter sharing it. Yeah, you had that elite receiver in Jerry Rice, but other guys were kind of behind the eight ball with Jones and Brent Jones and John Taylor. So again, very similar, older quarterback, really one go-to receiver, but here we got a better running game, and no one's accusing Matt LaFleur of winning with Mike McCarthy's players or Ted Thompson's players. This is Brian Gutekunst's team, this is Matt LaFleur's team, whereas Seifert came in and both years, everyone says this is Bill Walsh's guys. These are Bill Walsh's players, his coaches, the team that he built. Seifert is kind of coasting along, and that ended up kind of sticking with Seifert for the rest of his career, and he never quite recovered from that kind of stretch to the point where he's not viewed as the as an elite coach nowadays. He's viewed as the guy who won with Bill Walsh's players. Exactly, yeah. When Bill Walsh even admitted that when he retired after winning Super Bowl twenty-three, he said, I just left the greatest team in the history of football. And, you know, because of, he was the – Mike Holmgren was the offensive coordinator, but he wasn't calling the plays. So in 89, Holmgren finally gets to call the plays with Bill Walsh's offense, and they didn't miss a beat. And so, of course, yeah, that was Bill Walsh's team. George Seifert did kind of – George Seifert was the defensive guy. And you take a look, his first two years – being that coach, the 49ers had the second-ranked defense in the league. So, yeah, I still – so it's kind of hard to compare LaFleur with, with George Seifert. It's hard to compare any any first- or second-year coach uh, to George Seifert. You're right, but I think I think he was good to bring up just because you think of the record that he had going oh, yeah. You had to. You had to bring it up just because of, that's, like, the gold standard, even though he did kind of fall into a good situation. Then again, you still have to give the guys due. Oh, for sure. But So we'll go from 1989, we'll jump back into a, a more modern era. And by more modern, I mean this millennium. And let's talk about Sean Payton a little bit. Payton comes in in 2006. They go 10-6 and six with the Saints right away. And they lose in the conference championship to the Rex Grossman-led Chicago Bears. But at that point, they had a 27-year-old Drew Brees at quarterback. He had 26 touchdowns, 11 picks, over 4,000 yards. You had Deuce McAllister running back. You had Marcus Colson uh, as a young receiver. Joe Horn at the end of his in the at the end of his career. 
And but here's here's a guy, offensive guru, comes came from from Dallas where he was with Bill Parcells, and and he's and now and now he's been there for 15 years, and he's still going strong. And I think this is kind of the blueprint you probably want Lafleur to follow is the Sean Payton. Because Peyton got better and better and better at calling plays as the years went on. He became more and more and more of a complete coach, with the exception of the year he was suspended. But those first two years, going ten and six, and then but he did drop to seven and nine in year two, which I don't think will happen for the Packers. But eventually, Peyton was getting incrementally better to the point where he ended up winning a Super Bowl in year four. And if we can get a Super Bowl in, by year four for Matt Lafleur, I think we have a long-term success as a head coach. Yeah, you know, cause his his rookie year, 2006, because the Packers hired McCarthy instead of Sean Payton, and Payton went to New Orleans. His first year coaching New Orleans was when Drew Brees came to New Orleans from San Diego. And so many people were wondering if Drew Brees was ever going to be the elite quarterback after his, his shoulder injury. And I feel like Sean Payton was like the perfect fit. Now he did, Drew Brees did go down and have a lesser season his second year under Sean Payton but then rebounded immediately and had just the second 5,000-yard passing season in NFL history. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, it was his third year. You take a look, his interceptions went from 11 to 18. But then again, uh, I don't know. Did you do, do a lot of uh, research on the first couple of years with, uh, with Sean Payton? I did. That, that was one I missed. The first couple of years were very odd because, yeah, you had Drew Brees coming off the injury. But you didn't have any backups, and a lot of people thought that this was going to eventually be Reggie Bush's team because that was his first couple years in the NFL, too. But he never broke out, and Marcus Colson became the superstar receiver from them. But with Peyton, he was known as as the guy who helped Dallas kind of come back with Romo, and he helped navigate the Quincy Carter years. And Peyton was a guy who was a little bit louder, a little more boisterous than guys like Mike McCarthy. But the question was always, can he get out of the shadow of that that type A attitude head coach? Because he was under, like I said, he was under Parcells. And Parcells had that Dallas team on lockdown. Could Peyton do the same with his own team? And I think we're seeing the same questions of Matt Lafleur. Can Lafleur take control of it, of a type A quarterback? Whereas Drew Brees was very moldable and came in. And I think he felt happy to be appreciated in New Orleans and getting signed there compared to what he was in San Diego when they drafted Phillip Rivers only a couple years after. Aaron Rodgers don't have to worry about that yet. I don't think Green Bay should have any quarterback high at least the, any next time the next couple years. But I think Peyton growing as a play caller and growing as a coach is what the floor should be striving to do and just become better and better each year even though the record may drop a little bit. Agreed. Completely, completely agree. And so last but not least, let's take a look at our last head coach, and that ends up being Mike Tomlin, which is a very fun story in and of itself. Tomlin, of course, takes over from Bill Cower. Cower retires after winning the Super Bowl. Tomlin comes in. He goes 10-6 in year one back in 2007. They drop out on the playoff round to David Garrard and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it's a song when he has Ben Roethlisberger at age 25, a young quarterback, goes 32 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Willie Parker was their star runner at the time, but they didn't have any elite receivers. Heinz Ward was the leading guy with 730 yards. Centonio Holmes at 940 yards, but he averaged 18 yards a catch. Year two was the one where Pittsburgh really stepped up. They went from up to 12-4. and four. They won the Super Bowl over Arizona in that 
one of the great Super Bowls I've ever seen. But Roethlisberger was more of a game manager. 17 touchdowns, 15 picks, but they rode a powerful defense and a very effective running game to the championship. And it's one of those ones where it's tough to see. It's tough to see. Also, Najee Danforth is on the team, by the way. Also, a fun little anecdote. But Tomlin trusting again, trusting his coordinators, trusting his defense, and relying on the 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 trenches, relying on the trenches to win. With Bruce Arians and Dick LeBose as coordinators, veteran veteran guys who have been and will later become head coaches in the league, I think is really helping out. Tomlin, I think, much like Mike Pettin has helped out LaFleur as that former head coach who kind of has been around and knows what's going on. Yeah, and what I like about Tomlin is uh, when he came to Pittsburgh, he was with the Vikings, and he was always used to a 4-3 defense. And he comes to Pittsburgh, and he sees the talent that they have, that they are built for a Dick LeBeau 3-4 defense. And instead of trying to completely scrap it away and say, this is what I, this is where I come from, this is what I'm used to, we're changing to a 4-3. He said, no, let, let's keep the good thing rolling. Let's keep it in a 3-4. Dick LeBeau has this all under control. And it paid off. They win the Super Bowl. And so that's one thing I do give a lot of credit to Mike Tomlin. And I hope uh, uh, Matt LaFleur, people are wondering, you know, whether or not you should have kept Mike Patton after this year. We'll see if it pays off. Okay, and another thing also to keep an eye on was also the – improvement of, of pass rushers from year one to year two under Mike Tomlin. James Harrison went from 8.5 to 16 sacks. Lamar Woodley jumped to 11.5 sacks when he won the Super Bowl. If we can see continued jumps like that from Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, if they can find a middle linebacker who can play like James Ferrier, I think that'll help go a long way as well because I think they have the secondary to... Very similar as Pittsburgh had Polamalu and Clark and Ike Taylor in that secondary... I think that could emerge as well. But they also had a young Lawrence Timmons who played linebackers. Also, I think I think the defenses are built in very similar ways. They're built with those powerful, explosive pass rushers. And I think the way the team is built is a model for LaFleur. And again, Tomlin, a guy who, much like Matt LaFleur, we, as we've learned in interviews the past few weeks, a coach that the players have 100% respect for. And they know the coach has their back, and they've got his back. And we've seen that now with Mike Tomlin over the past 10-plus years, especially this last year with the whole Antonio Brown thing. But Tomlin's a guy who he's going to go to bat for his guys, he's going to stick up for his guys, and I think Matt LaFleur is going to be the same way. Agreed. So, again, offseason, just kind of fun to talk about what to expect from year two with Matt LaFleur. And as we both said multiple times, 13-3 and three might be a stretch again for next year with tougher schedule, probably wouldn't have as good of luck on the training table as we did this past season, but looking back at a lot of these coaches who had Hall of Fame quarterbacks, who ended up having of had Hall of Fame careers, guys like Tony Dungy, Sean Payton, it's interesting to see how they can compare to Matt LaFleur and what we can expect from year two from Coach LaFleur as he gets used to life as a head coach, and I think there's both good and bad to be taken from all of these previous coaches and what happened with them. So for that, we will say so long for now, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. And again, join us every single day for more Packers content as we continue through the offseason and get to the combine next week, free agency, the draft, and, of course, the beginning of training camp in the season later on this summer. So as we continue, Chris Schimmel, where can people find you and what are you working on? Uh, not working on anything right now. Taking it easy this offseason. But eventually I'm going to get back into it and start writing some more articles. 
But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Chris Schimmel. All right, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Wendland. Uh Jump right back in Zero Express. I just dropped an article a few days ago about those Wisconsin Badgers combine and what you can expect from the four guys at the combine. What drills matter the most to them? And maybe you never know. A couple of them could end up in Green Bay Packers. I would love to see Zach Bond and Quintess Cephas in green and gold next year. I would be very, very excited for that. But there's a lot going on around the world of sports. Of course, in Green Bay, Packers football will never go out of season, even though it is technically the off season. So again, stay tuned every day for more Packers content on the Pack a Day podcast. Find it wherever podcasts are found, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, we are there. And stay tuned again every single day for more Packers content. And of course, and as always, Go Pack Go! Hi, this is Nick Schmitz, one of the hosts of a Pack-A-Day podcast. Since you're a fan of the Green Bay Packers, you are probably a fan of Friday Night Fish Fries. It's a staple of Wisconsin heritage, and we want to let you know how you can support Friday Night Fish Fries. You can do this through supporting The Farmery. The Farmery is a non-profit aquaponics farm and fish hatchery, and they are excited to launch their state-of-the-art yellow perch fish hatchery in downtown Green Bay. The hatchery will produce fish that aquaculture farmers can grow out and produce for your family's Friday Night Fish Fries. In partnership with the Green Bay Packers and the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation, the Farmery has been selected to receive matching funds as part of Give Big Green Bay, a 24-hour online giving event designed to rally the community around local nonprofits. From noon on Tuesday, February 18th through noon on Wednesday, February 19th, you can make your donation to the Farmery at www.givebiggreenbay.org. The Green Bay Packers and the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation will match every donation, which will provide high-quality learning experiences such as internships, job shadowing experiences, field trips, and community tours of the new facility. Donate online at www.givebiggreenbay.org and search The Farmery. class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring this podcast unified healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by energy enhancement system or ee system if you haven't heard of the ee system you'll want to listen up this technology promotes wellness 
deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.